Now it's definitely on. So I, I was saying to those of you who are at home on a live stream that this uh, past week my daughter competed in the science fair and has done really well. Uh, what's super exciting for her parents is she not only did well, but she won money. So if you want to ask, I won't say how much money she won, but it's not insignificant if you want to ask her how much she won after um, church. And uh, it's very gratifying. She, she's been working on this science fair project since the fall. So for months and months, she's been working on it. And then she went to regionals, and she got this positive affirmation. And then she went on to state, got more. And it's, it's really nice when you work really hard at something to then be rewarded with uh, words of affirmation, with praise, and with some money. My son, my older son, had something like this happen too a couple weeks ago when he swam in the state meet for his high school. He did really, really well. His name got up on the screen. Nobody was allowed in the building, but you know, on the live streams we got to see on the TV. His name was in the paper. We had family texting us like, good job. And uh, that too was super rewarding. He's been working so hard and so then to, to do well and then to receive this recognition is very, very honoring. And if I were to use a biblical term for the experience that both my son and my daughter had, it would be, it was very glorifying for them. After all their hard work, this was a moment of glory. And this experience of being given glory or, or receiving glory, if you can think back throughout your life and moments where you've experienced glory, it can really do something significant for us. It can give us confidence around the thing that we've been working hard at and then been rewarded for. It can affirm our giftedness. It can validate our hard work. I know that when I was younger, when I was in college, I worked really hard one year in swimming, and then I swam hard. It's like, oh, wow, the hard work pays off. So that experience of glory validates that hard work. And when we receive these things, it then can kind of provide this sense of encouragement to keep us going. So school for, this is, so kids get this all the time and in a variety of forms at a variety of levels. Like even just going to school and getting graded and then having a teacher write a nice note on a test or getting a good grade in a certain subject, this can be a moment of glory and affirmation and it, and it keeps you going. It keeps you pressing on. Whether it's podium or on a paper or in a tournament or on a test, these moments of glory can be very affirming and then keep us going. But this isn't only for kids and it doesn't stop in childhood. As we grow into adulthood, we continue to need this sense of recognition and affirmation when we work hard and put our effort into something or do a good job. And it can come in simple forms. Like sometimes I've received text messages or emails from some of you. If I've preached a sermon that you've liked and you've sent this message on to me, and this is been a form of affirmation that feels like glory. It feels really good for me. For some of you, maybe you've received an award or some recognition at your workplace and you've been asked to like, get up and give a speech. This also is a moment of glory. Or, or maybe someone mentions you in a Facebook post and, and talks about how wonderful you are or talks about something that you did and everyone's hitting like. That feels like giving of glory to you. For others, it can just be in a promotion or in some other achievement that we get. And this 
word glory it's a biblical word but it's the concept itself we all know really really well and the word in the Old Testament the Hebrew word for it is kavod and it has this connotation of like heaviness so when you get glory you're like I don't want to say you're gaining weight because you're not getting like fatter but it's like your soul is becoming more weighty. Glory, it's like you can take it and put it inside of you and then it feels like you're worth more. You're of greater substance. You're of greater value, greater heft or weight in your presence. And as a result, when we receive glory, we, we feel good about who we are. Confident, proud, like we matter, we're maybe emboldened to speak up. And this makes glory very motivating. This is also why missing out on glory can be pretty painful. It can leave us feeling just as worthless, maybe even more worthless than the worth that we gain from getting glory. Think about a time you didn't get the promotion everyone was watching to see if you would. Think about the time your rival was honored you weren't mentioned. Think of the time you were on a team that lost in the first round, where you were left off the podium. Or think of the friends that you know that experienced this. These defeats sting. They leave us feeling empty. And they can be more motivating sometimes than getting the glory. And what ends up happening is maybe you get the glory or maybe you don't get the glory and you become more aware of this vacuum and weightlessness in your soul can reinforce how motivating getting glory is. How badly we need affirmation, validation, honor, respect, dignity, praise. And so what ends up happening, because we have this strong longing and deep desire for glory, we start to orient our lives around the pursuit of glory. We find a sport team or a sport. If the one we're on, we're not good at, we're not getting glory, we switch. A career, a, a new subject, a new relationship, a new group of friends, all in the name of seeking glory. And this is where we can get into trouble. Because our quest for glory in the form of affirmation, praise, accolades, awards, whatever, can drive us to make some bad choices in our life. It can lead to cheating, to win. It can cause us to choose a career that brings us glory and honor versus the one we're called to pursue. It can drive us into relationships that aren't edifying. Because there's some part of that relationship that makes us feel better about ourselves. So so many ways that our quest for glory can lead us astray. And in our passage, the one that Chris read for us from Colossians, the Apostle Paul is telling us where and how you and I should be looking for glory. And he is telling us to look to Easter morning, to the resurrection, as the place where we are seeking glory. On Easter moment, morning, that's the moment that Jesus is glorified 
by the Father. He's lived this life of sacrificial service and love for people and been rejected, cast off, and ultimately crucified. But now, on Easter morning, this life of sacrificial love is glorified. And in our passage, Paul is encouraging us to live the same way that Jesus did, recognizing it will not lead to worldly glory. But it will lead to glory as we live in a resurrection life, as we look forward to a future resurrection with Christ. Listen to what Paul says in verse 3, Colossians 3.3. He's talking about how we are identifying with Christ. He said, you died. He's speaking to people who are still alive, but he's saying, you died. And your life, that life of glory that we long for, is now obscured and it is hidden in Christ, with Christ, in God. And what this means is that there is some deep spiritual reality whereby you and I can participate in the death and resurrection of Jesus. This is something that will happen in the future. We will die in the future. We will be raised with Christ in the future. But Paul is talking about it as if it is something that happens now. We can die now. We have died already. We can continue to die and we can be raised now and live with this risen Christ. So Paul says, set your focus there. If, if it's inevitable that you and I are going to live for glory, make sure you're not living for the worldly glory, which is died, that, that life has died. Make sure you set your focus on the glory that comes from living this resurrection life with Jesus. So he says in the first two verses, since then you have been raised. It's past. Continuing. Perfect. You have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Set your heart and set your mind on the resurrection things. This is where your glory comes from. And he says, if we will, we can be confident that we, as we face death, we will experience glory. Verse 4. When Christ comes, who is your life, when he appears, then you also, you, the one who is now hidden and not receiving glory in the world, then you also will appear with him in glory. When I saw that this was the passage for this Sunday, I thought, I love this passage, but it's simultaneously very simple and straightforward, but also um, actually quite hard to understand. Because it's talking about these deep spiritual things and inviting us to live this in the world, but from this very um, deep hidden spiritual perspective. But at the heart of what Paul is saying is that we should be in, you know, willing, like in our everyday life, as we're leading lives of love for other people, that if that, that commitment to sacrificial love for other people leads us to an experience that feels like the cross, it feels like persecution, shame, failure, defeat, or rejection, that when that happens, 
there's somehow that we can remember that this life that hates to die, we can turn inward where we dwell with Christ in the heavenly places and experience a resurrection type life with God. So we turn away from our external life, turn towards our internal life, we face the cross-like experience of everyday life, and then experience these inner ex- life experiences of resurrection. Part of it is Paul saying, you know, you live this way now, and then you can look forward to a future resurrection. But there's also a part that is na- he's, where he's naming that this resurrection experience begins now through life in the Spirit. Again, I wrestled with this. I was preparing. I was like, oh, I don't know. How, how do I communicate this dynamic so abstract and and it feels a little bit it's like this is one of my favorite passages in the entire bible but it feels a little bit like telling people who are engaged when they ask you oh we're so excited to get married what's it like to be married how do you explain that you it's like you can't explain it you just have to experience it or to to a husband and a wife who are expecting their first child and they're asking we're so excited to have our first child what's it like to be a parent i there's nothing that I can say that will explain what it's like to become a parent for the first time. It's just something you have to go through. And then you learn about it as you go through it. And in the same way, the reality of this passage is it almost defies explanation in a sermon because it's something you have to live. You and I only come to understand this as we find ourselves in a moment where we are being called to love somebody to the point that it hurts. That we have to deny some part of ourselves. That we have to recognize that we're not getting the glory. Nobody's going to see us and applaud for this act of love. But we know that God sees and that God rewards and that there is a glory that comes from our Father in heaven. Perhaps the most helpful thing that I can do by way of explaining this passage is just to read Eugene Peterson's translation of this in the message, which I feel is more contemporary and helps articulate what is going on. And I'm going to back up. I don't have all the verses in here. The first two I don't have, but then the second two I do have. But I would invite you just to, to listen and to hear this and to see What does the Spirit speak to you as deeply true? Or what sounds like invitation to you? Or what sounds like affirmation or promise to you as I read it? It says this. So, if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorb the things right in front of you. Look up, be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. Your old life is dead. 
your new life, which is your real life, even though it's invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God. He is your life. When Christ, your real life, remember, shows up again on earth, you'll show up too. The real you. The glorious you. Meanwhile, be content with obscurity like Christ. Your real life is hidden. No one sees it. Your real life is with Christ in God. There are no spectators who can see your real life. If you happen to go through some event that leads to more obscurity for you, be content. This is just an invitation to lean deeper into the real you into your hidden life, hidden with Christ in God. This is the invitation that is so hard to accept. We're invited to accept the death of our external self, which we long to be glorified before others, before the spectators. And trust that as we choose the way of love, instead of getting glory from the spectators, we will receive glory from our Father in heaven. And this tension between glory in the world and obscurity with Christ which then leads to glory with Christ. It's really real and it's hard to live. One of my favorite authors who spoke about this is this uh, former Trappist, he's passed away now, but it's Trappist monk named Thomas Merton. And he lived most of his adult life in a monastery in Kentucky. And he's written a lot of books about the spiritual life. And he talks about this dynamic. What is your real life? Is this hidden life with God? How do we not live for this external life, but instead live for this? Like, he's kind of considered a master in this subject really of seeking glory from your father in heaven and not from your external appearance well he wanted to go deeper into this and so being a trappist monk in a monastery wasn't enough for him so he went to the abbot and he asked i need more hiddenness would it be okay if i go and live in the hermitage on the other side of this many acred property that the the monastery owned and after asking multiple times he finally the abbot finally said Okay, fine, go. Go and live this life of solitude and hiddenness and prayer with God. So he goes and he does this, and about a week later, the brothers recount him wandering back up to the main building and asking, how come no one has come to visit me yet? After only a week of pursuing this hidden life, he wanders back up and says, nope, nope, nobody's coming to say hi or to talk to me or to seek my advice. You know, I'm, I'm now this kind of holy spiritual person living in a hermitage. Don't you want to come and, and hear from me? 
And for me, this perfectly articulates this tension between, you know, recognizing, yes, yes, I want to I go in the direction of this hidden life, this deep spiritual prayer life with God that no one sees, but I would also like people to recognize how good I am for doing this hidden thing that nobody can see. This obscurity, this path of obscurity is so hard for us to take. It feels like death. The obscurity feels like death because there's no earthly glory in it. That momentary, that invitation to step into these Good Friday experiences, we know that they lead to Easter morning, but they're so hard because we want the glory now. If we can be raised with Christ, if we have this to look forward to, and we also know that the Holy Spirit is with us now, inviting us into this resurrection life. So if we can face these Good Friday moments, where there is an opportunity then to experience the resurrection life in the here and now. So we have to pass up on that, what Thomas Merton did and what often we are tempted to do, where we're looking for people to see us and to celebrate us even when we do this small act of love. But if we can, if we can stay in this place of obscurity and then turn in the Spirit to God who is with us inside, there is a reward. There is a hidden life that you and I can tap into where we start to get this foretaste of the resurrection life now. So some of that feels like the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So if we can go through, if we are recognizing that there is this invitation into a Good Friday death-like experience, if we can do that and then turn inward for the glory from the Father, the gift, instead of like a, a medal or a garland on our head, it's the fruit of the Spirit. He get, we get peace. We get joy. We start to get hope. We start to be filled with love. Or if we can do this, go through a Good Friday experience and then turn inward and live this resurrection life with Christ, we can hear God's voice of affirmation. We may not hear it from the crowds applauding, but we can hear God's voice saying to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Or if we have this opportunity to, to get people to like us by doing something that is very unloving, we can turn around, away from that experience, that death-like experience of Good Friday, and then we can turn inward. Instead of getting people to, to like us and love us more, we can experience God's love like the arms of a mother wrapped around a newborn child. We can sit this hidden life with God and know God's arms of love wrapped tightly around us. When these moments come to take up our cross and travel the road of costly, humble, others-centric love, this is the resurrection life that we're called to enter. To set our minds and to set our hearts on our life with Christ in God. Oh, think, think about this. Think like a time maybe when you're sitting at a dinner table you got your phone next to you and, a, and an email pops up and you see it's like a group email and it's all your coworkers at work and somebody's asking this question and you're like, ooh, I know the answer to that. And there's this desire to like pick up your phone and fire back the response on a reply all so everybody can see how smart you are. 
or how hard you've been working or that you already have it done. But as you're doing that, and there's this draw in this direction, notice that your daughter is talking to you. And your daughter is saying something very important, but there's this strong draw in your soul for the glory of getting your coworkers to like you more. But then you remember, oh yeah, just this morning I was saying, I'm always looking at my phone when I'm around my kids. I need to stop doing that. I need to be more present to my kids. This is a very simple invitation to take up our cross, die to this desire for worldly glory, and instead go the other way, which is the path of love. And then later, if you can turn inward, you can search. Where is God's resurrection life being birthed in me because I went this way and not this way? Or maybe you experience this dynamic and the invitation to take a Sabbath once a week. Taking a Sabbath is an act of faith in the resurrection life. We believe that our our hidden life with God is tapped into as we rest. Or maybe you're invited to give generously. This is undeniably an experience of death, and we have a strong resistance to it. Because it inevitably leads to our diminishment in terms of worldly status and glory. On Easter morning, it can be easy for us to celebrate, but then forget that the only way to get to Easter morning resurrection life is to travel through Good Friday, lest a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies. You don't get the new growth in the fruit. And death is excruciating. What Paul is reminding us today, set your hearts and minds glory that the Father gives. So that as you go through these experiences of dying and your external self dies and the spectators stop applauding and nobody sees you because you're obscure, turn to the place that you dwell with Christ in God and hear him speaking words of glory over you. So, I was going to close with an illustration about the NCAA tournament and all the glory and the loss, but I think I'm just going to stop here because we're going a little bit long. This is the invitation on Easter morning to remember that you and I must travel through Good Friday in order to get to Easter morning. Join me in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pause right now and we notice that you have invited us to live our real life with Christ in God and that this life is hidden from spectators. Father, Jesus, and Holy Spirit, we beg of you, give us a taste of your resurrection glory today that we might be willing to die when we face the Good Friday experiences in our everyday life. 
Christ's name we pray. Amen.